Let me read you a passage that can put a lens on the new year before us. It's written in Isaiah chapter 43. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Those were the words of God to the nation of Israel as they looked to the future where the Messiah would come and restore them as a new people. We are a new creation. And as we reflect on the past year and have set sights on the future of the upcoming one, it's important that we press forward with a correct worldview, a biblical worldview, the view of God's kingdom growing here and now. It's Saturday, January 8th, 2022. And today we will review what happened this past week. In the beginning of the show, we'll focus on January 6th events from a year ago. And towards the latter part of the show, Vadim will cover the news of the wildfires in Colorado. Welcome to LifeRing, a podcast where we strive to provide you with a well-rounded review of what is going on in the world between this past Monday and this past Friday of this past week. My name is Alex, and here joining me for the very first episode of 2022 is our regular co-host and dear friend, Vadim. Brother, thank you for being here. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing good. We have a lot to catch up on. It's been a hectic few <laughs> weeks with Christmas, New Year's, Orthodox Christmas. Man, we're back on the grind with the podcast, so yep. here we are. Yeah, we got to throw the Orthodox Christmas in there, um, being part of a... Oh, I guess, I don't know, does anybody, you know, my, my neighbors still have the the Christmas lights on, mm-hmm. uh, and it could be that they just didn't take him down, but I thought for a moment, do Catholics do the same thing or no? Catholics do 25th, right? I I think so. Okay, so the, that's not why they have the lights on, not because they're Orthodox. Yeah, but then you think about, like, anyone that goes to the trouble putting up Christmas lights is not going to be, like, rushing to take him down when the day's over. I sure. don't know. They want to enjoy their creation. Yeah. Well, how was this first week of the year for you? This first week has been has been busy. Uh, we're we're back to work now uh, after the snow that shut us down for a whole week, which was actually turned out to be a blessing. But um, yeah, fun. I'm working with a new company, so you could say a new mission field. Uh, having a lot of new, cool conversations uh, with all these new different people that, that I meet. So, so you're literally so getting a fun. fresh start with a fresh year. Yeah. It's so much fun. That's what about nice. you? Uh, well, um, again, holidays are done. That's exciting. Uh, which means things kind of even out as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things stand out. Uh, January 7th, yesterday went to the Homeland security building in past Seattle with my father, and this is now the third family member that I've been uh, part of uh, the oath ceremony that you do for naturalization, oh, citizenship. Nice. Yeah, so he's now a citizen. Welcome to the uh, right U.S. <laughs> club. Another voter, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyways, and the other part that I thought I'd highlight and maybe encourage some of you to even talk to your parents more. Uh, I'm enjoying listening to the stories of the past from my parents' perspective some details that I've never heard before, you know, and I've been writing things down and recording some of the stuff because once they're gone, there's so many interesting and unique tidbits of, of just the past that you'd never, you know, names, locations, dates that you have no way of looking up once they're gone. And again, my, my parents are not that old. They're in their early fifties, mid fifties, but 
still, you kind of start to think about that. You know, what am I going to tell my kids about my family history where I can like, bear, you know, the whole moving to America really kind of messes with your mind and in terms of like what was what happened here, what happened there. Plus, because you don't have the reinforcement of the being in the same place anymore. That means some of the memories just sort of fade forever. Oh, yeah, that's really valuable. I, you know, I believe that God uses our memories to be able to to turn our past into spiritual growth for our future. So everything that we can hold on to, even if it's like, even if it's not a memory we're proud of necessarily, but like everything right. has has a purpose and has a value. Yeah, speaking of which, you have any resolutions for this year? No, I do not. <laughs> My resolution is to continue growing. How about that? Yeah. Which has always been the same. So it's not a New Year's resolution. In fact, I feel like I've been doing my resolutions prior. Like I began planning the next year before January 1st already. So for yeah. me, it's more it, like a continuing thing. It's I appreciate it as a tradition, but at the same time, like why would you wait until the next year to start improving yourself? You know, That's yeah. not to say that I don't believe in resolutions or something, but... Um, it's usually like one of another opportunity to set a goal that you just because something psychologically sort of tells us, oh, fresh start, and so you you're you're like, I'm gonna be way different this time. I can actually pull this through this resolution. I don't know, like reading oh, yeah. books. It's super know, important, but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be spaced out from year to year. I think these yeah. moments of like uh, you know self reflection and and True. determining what uh, where you want to go. We're Ever- called to grow. <laughs> every new week, every new month, every new year, you have an opportunity to grow. All right, let's dive into our next segment. So this story is a year old, but it seems like it happened so long ago when Trump was still the president at that time, for not long, I guess. But And COVID uh, at that time seemed like it was going to stick around just for a bit. You know, we've had it for, for, for a year and it's time for it to, to go away. It seemed like if Trump by miracle, has somehow got the presidency back, then he was going to eradicate it. And if Biden won, he said he'll he'll get rid of it. This was back when back to normal was still a talking point. Right. And, and so on that rainy Wednesday morning in Washington, D.C., uh, when the results of the election were supposed to be certified by Mike Pence in front of the Congress, Trump had a rally on that day at the Freedom Plaza, conveniently timed. Uh, and I don't blame him. I think if you're... Um, if you're on the other side, right, and you there was some, there still are some grave concerns in terms of how the election goes and so on. Yeah, he's he's the underdog. He has to be yeah. strategic. Now, of course, he has decided to use or not to use certain language, right? Both what he said and what he didn't say that day mattered. And, uh, anyways, there was a huge crowd of probably curious people. There was patriotic people. Uh, crazy people, deep right-wing people, apparently. Uh, media was there expecting something. Uh, Antifa, at least in some numbers, you know, uh, was there. They're not fully to blame. but And so this was apparently a very eventful day for the history of the United States, at least the way we interpret it. Now, you can talk about whether the events were eventful, or but the interpretation of it is... Yeah, yeah, consequential would be the word, right? But our interpretation of it turned out to be the most important thing. You remember where you were on January 6th? Yeah, I was uh, at home. I think this was this was happening around 11, I want to say 10 to 11 a.m., maybe till noon in that time frame. I, I worked remotely from home, and on my other screen, I have a big iMac, I had the, the news networks side by side, 
because we knew something something was brewing. And even looking at the footage, you could feel it in the air before it happened. Just kind of how people went from the rally down the street, starting to fill up the lawn of the Capitol building. And you could see that something just was not right. And as the day went on, it, it became more surreal and surreal. And so do you remember that day? No, I really don't remember that much. And even now, like when you're when you're talking about the the sequence of events that happened, like this is kind of a lot of this is new to me. I think I remember working night shift that night and then, you know, so I was asleep when it was all going on. But then I wake up in the afternoon on on the next day, whatever that Mm -hmm. was, and just kind of seeing all the memes popping up of the guy with the horns um, and, you know, the guy you know, he's got the American flag painted on his face. And the gist of it for me was like, hey, there was a protest outside of the Capitol and people walked in and started to make themselves at home, you could say. And obviously a lot of the stuff, the fact that we're talking about it now uh, means that there was a lot of analysis. Uh, There was a lot of things added in after the fact of, uh, you know, um, you know, AOC talks about how this was a monumental moment in her life that she has trauma from the event and, and things like that, even though she was not in the Capitol. Um, she was in the next building over, I believe. I would say a lot of what I know about this event is from gleaning everything that happened afterwards rather than experiencing it even virtually like you did. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that was the reality for a lot of people is that as the days went on, people started to hear commentary from whichever side they preferred to to listen to. But anyway, so on that day, we had Mike Pence in the building. Uh, he was supposed to certify the election results. Kamala Harris was there as well. Apparently, she was in a classified hearing of the Intelligence Committee. It's a classified hearing, so I don't know what the hearing was about, but I wonder, you know, what the Intelligence <laughs> Committee was doing while there was an... Like, they should have been, no, I don't know, listening to what was going on. I, I guess there still lingers a huge question in terms of capital security and how... What is this intelligence even doing? Right, if they weren't able to foresee this, as they label it, quote unquote, insurrection, hmm. uh, a coup, you know, to overthrow the government or whatever. That, that's just a lingering question. Uh, but she was there, and she said, "I had left, but my thoughts were immediately directed to the staff." So I guess they were escorted out of the building. Other important events, like you said, the guy with the horns. Um, you could see how people were angry, but yeah, at the same time, destruction of property and violence is not a way to to make yourself. Heard we've seen it with BLM protests, and um, we we condemn violence and destruction of property. So it is in this case. There's a difference between a protesting and uh, going on a rampage of destruction. The reality is that this event uh, left the country divided. Even till this day, people are on you know either one side or another, or maybe they just are distant from it and they care less. And you might find yourself in that position as well. I keep wondering what could have been. Right. So say, for example, if this was a huge upheaval and overturned some things, I mean, just started a massive unrest in the country. How would we then look at this event? Because everything went normal, right? By the end of the day, hours later, the election results were certified and everything went on just as before, except Trump didn't show up to the inauguration, which was unusual, uh, but not necessarily out of place considering the events. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we could talk about all the stuff that was added after the fact, all the kind of filters put on the event. But um, 
the event itself was relatively inconsequential because I remember even watching video and like, oh, people are kind of, once that group that was at the lead kind of broke in and, um, and led the way, you see footage of people walking through that big foyer with all the statues and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And they're staying inside the, the, um, the velvet ropes or whatever they have. Uh, you know, kind of like a kind of like a walkway through that massive foyer, and they're kind mm-hmm. of they're kind of just uh, taking videos on their phones and walking through, kind of following the the throng of people. And you're right in the sense that it it didn't it wasn't a coup, it wasn't an overthrowing of the election. It was like I I didn't see in the moment or even in the days that followed that it was really a big deal. I thought it would just kind of quiet down. What's what's worth noticing, uh, noting though, is that yes, as the time went on, we got to see a little more footage, and that there were um, in the crowd of these conservative, patriotic, you know, concerned, upset people, there were a lot of people who on that day were determined to wreak havoc, and they had a an intent to cause violence and destruction. Uh, it's worth noting that the Fed said that two thousand five hundred people have been involved, you know, in some way of cr- criminally or you know having like a cause were part of i guess the destruction there have been 700 arrests made uh 225 were arrested for attacking the police 275 uh were charged with political crimes of obstructing the congress duty to certify 300 uh crimes against the property destruction more than 150 of the defendants pleaded guilty already that's, you know, since the beginning of this year, and 71 have been uh, sentenced so far. Fewer than half received prison time, that's according to Fox News, and about 530 will still face trial. The reason I'm saying all these numbers is because there's always more than just one view, I guess, on a situation, right? Once you start to get into the details, once an event like this, you know, stands up to the scrutiny of national attention, people start to notice all sorts of things. And the sad part is usually they pick what they want to focus on. I think it's important to look at it objectively and say that on that day, there was a reason for people being upset, but also some chose to go the route of violence and destruction, which is, um, which is not commendable. Whereas, you listen to the speech this year that uh, President uh, Biden and uh, Vice President Kamala delivered in the Capitol building, it is still very divisive. It only takes into account half of the people, right? What Biden's saying... Taking into account half the people's perspective? Taking into account that, yeah, everything happened only from the perspective of the Biden administration, right? rather than saying that that day, you know, we should have all learned lessons from that versus this was an attack on our democracy. And this is like, um, you know, almost like more important than civil war. He said something like, he's like, even during the civil war, it never happened that the Capitol building was stormed. Uh, Again, raising it to this monumental, I mean, it is an important moment. Right. And and there was another point where he, in an earlier speech, I think he talked about that it was, this was the biggest attack on democracy since, um, I can't remember the, what he compared it to, but like, like this is, this is something just so colossal. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if he's taking into account the time when War of 1812, when the White House was set on fire or when. In 1941, when um, you know, essentially an imperialist dictatorship uh, gave us a surprise bombing in Hawaii, or in 2001, when you know Al Qaeda hijacked 
some airplanes and flew them into World Trade Center and the Pentagon and things like that. But one of the things that I, I think came out of this is that conservatives sort of received all the glory for the event. And that is not true. Just because they were present there, right? Uh, that does not necessarily represent the whole conservative base around the United States. On the other hand, because conservatives were there, a lot of other conservatives around the country sort of just um, agreed to look at this event in a very biased way and ignored the violent mm. part and condemned they, they the destruction. Like, they feel like they have to defend the... Right. And just closing their eyes on the actual damage that did occur. I mean, see if this is relatable. You know, we were in New York City last summer, uh, just kind of walking around Times Square. We happened upon a protest against uh, vaccine mandates. And so you would have, it wasn't violent or anything. There was police there, but people were kind of just standing around talking, um, holding signs and stuff. But, uh, you know, you see a lot of different factions come in and start to spread their message. So we had people that were talking about, you know, the free Julian Assange. Uh, you had people that were talking about, uh, you know, the pulling out of Afghanistan and, you know, everything that we need to do with that. Um, and so it just turned into a general anti-government crowd, right? Um, the same thing in here where you have a nominal purpose, you know, let's protest the results of these elections. And then it turns into people coming in and hijacking this mob mentality and say, hey, let's breach the Capitol. Like, we need to get in there. Um, and you could see that on a lot of the footage where, you know, someone suggests the idea and then people are like, oh, no, come on, like, simmer down. And then, you know, someone else suggests it and then, it's, yeah. uh, then it finally happens, right? I think the world pays attention to what we say, how we comment, how we, you know, offer our commentary on it. And till this point, historically, we've been, you know, sort of the fulcrum for major decisions for centuries, uh, defining the world as it is, you know, and and so and we will continue to be so if we if we continue to be faithful voice in 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 these major issues. And so, from our perspective, we need to be willing to not just stand on a you know we're not subscribing to a certain political party. We're looking for people who will uphold the truth, uphold the law, right, and uh, uphold the social order, you know, as close as it is possible to what the Lord has given us as a model. And so that means sometimes saying, I'm not going to be okay with my party, you know, approving of this or not. We, you know, there has to be a first and primary allegiance to Christ. And in the cases of, you know, uh, this unnecessary violence, unnecessary destruction, uh, we need to be able to, to condemn that and say that, yes, there's, there was an upsetting moment and there's still a lot of questions. But, we, you know, we kind of look at that day and we have to condemn one part of it but also realize that there's other things in perspective that make this very small and insignificant. And if we're going to condemn that violence, we're going to also condemn the BLM protest violence and any other kind of violence that is out of place and not, isn't, not in response to countering evil. You know, another significant event that happens on January 6th every year? Not off the top of my head, no. Good. And that was my, <laughs> that's what I was hoping for, because you actually might know. But... Uh, I don't think I, I I didn't know this either. World Day for War Orphans um, is apparently an event that happens every January 6th that was created by a French organization to raise awareness. There's apparently 140 to 150 million of them worldwide as of now. Uh, it, it fluctuates from 140 to 150. Think of that. These are young people you know, or kids up to 18 years old uh, that have been affected by wars around the world. And so 
why am I bringing this up? Because it's, you know, it's important to look back at this event, but it's also just as important to be aware of the selfish tunnel vision that we get sometimes in, you know, in the comfortable environments that we live in. And so in the great scheme of things, there are important issues around us that have greater propensity and should be at the forefront of national conversations. If we are to be a godly uh, people in this world, we are to pay attention to what breaks his heart and not just what matters to us, but what truly matters in the greater scheme of things. We know we operate from a biblical worldview when we are noticing those things that truly matter. Welcome to the Lightning Round, where we cover some of the main stories of the week without a whole bunch of prep. And that's intentional because it's just a few guys commenting on the stories. So the first, okay. Yeah. So the first category is world news. Um, this is an article from Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Uh, quite a mouthful. And so it's talking about the some of the riots and protests happening in Kazakhstan right now, where the fuel prices went way up. Uh, people went up and started protesting, and in the end, the president uh, he dropped the fuel prices, and it looks like he like he's stepping down, right? And so Russia decides to, uh, you know, the powers that be decided that they need to uh, go there and establish order. And so they're, they're sending, uh, what, 2,500 troops uh, into Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. And it says that at this point, a dozen of protesters have been killed and 4,000 arrested. That's a huge number. But you got to mention that at least 18 have been killed on the other side, like the security forces mm-hmm. as well. And they turned off uh, phone there's like an internet blackout, which pretty much makes it impossible to track the events. It's crazy because like who saw this coming, right? And Russia kind of swoops in and like I don't even know what's going to happen in the future now. Is it, Are they just going to establish like a puppet state or... So is Kazakhstan um, already that? Yeah, so I mean for, former Soviet former state, Soviet. right? But it is it is rich in natural resources and it's an asset for russia to hold on to uh, this comment here says uh, geopolitically russia considers kazakhstan and indeed much of the entire region as its backyard so as one of the things that yesterday i was driving with my dad right and and we were talking about this cuz he pulled up the news all right, your dad was in Afghanistan, right? Afghanistan, yeah, um, in, in in 80s. Anyways, uh, he, he was talking about, you know, I, th- I think the idea here is that Putin is trying to sort of spread his... I mean, that's that's why the troops by the Ukrainian border. And see, they, they said that this force is called what? Mo- Moscow-led Collective Security Treaty Organization. So it's kind of a neighbor policing... Yeah, peacekeeping and establishment. It's, and this apparently, according to Texas, was the first ever collective intervention by this CSTO force. Putin's aims are either to extract concessions and NATO expansions or potentially to invade Ukraine and reverse its Western drift by force. That's that's a, that's a lot to say. I mean, that, that's that, a strong thing to say. That's a good say. way to sum it up, I think. Yeah. But an enduring, what, what it is, is uh, it's an enduring political and security crisis in Kazakhstan, in Kazakhstan Russia's top military ally, the largest economy in Central Asia and the strategic buffer state in the region. I guess maybe he is preparing for a war in Ukraine and he wants to have the region fully stable before he could do that. Right. I mean, again, is like Kazakhstan is a huge natural resource asset um, to all of Russia's purposes. So they want to be, I mean, this is not only real life drills for the CSTO troops, but they do want to have Kazakhstan ready on hand to support a war effort. All right. In a world of COVID news, uh, Four things I want to mention. Number one is apparently as of this Friday, it seems like the Supreme Court is 
inclined to block OSHA's vaccine mandate. It seems like it. Huzzah. Based on, uh, I don't know, the arguments that they presented. It seems like most of the justices seemed inclined to think that Occupational Safety and Health Administration has overstepped its statutory authority by demanding that companies with 100 or more employees require them to be vaccinated or wear face masks and submit to weekly virus testing. Now, this is important because you might think, aren't we past this kind of, we, we sort of moved on, we realized this is not going to work. Well, yes and no. Just because it's on hold doesn't necessarily mean that it's been resolved yet. Um, but this is yet another step to seeing that resolution. I hope they see it through because, I mean, the U.S. is kind of on the world stage, the only one that's, you know, having a struggle that's actually where it will be consequential, whether one side prevails or not. Like we see in Australia, I was reading a story of a guy that, like, of a guy that set himself on fire mm-hmm. in protest of the mm-hmm. of the lockdowns and, and everything that's happening, which it's not um, it's not to paint him as that like that one Tibetan monk guy that went and did it, but this was like a deranged person that mm. was. But still, the fact that it happened and uh, he survived, but just I hope this this sort of thing, like this legislation, that it does go through. Right. Hopefully, these will be the steps to to us moving from you know, we're still in a state of panic and emergency and everything needs to be shut down to, hey, this is sticking around. Uh, let's drop all the stuff that we were holding on to and say, how can we live with this going forward without being ridiculous and driving people insane? And with that, uh, apparently several states already have run out of federal rental assistance as of uh, this December. So going into the new month, into the new year, states like Oregon, New Jersey, Texas, in New York, Washington, D.C., who already have closed their programs in October and November. And now the list is just growing of all these states that are stopping the rental assistance, which might mean some potential troubles for investors. We're talking about small investors, right? Those who have like a few uh, units that they're maybe renting out across the country and stuff. The, the hit is finally going to be real. It, it's finally going to be felt, the true, I guess, um, post-pandemic results, if you will, of... Um, Hopefully, people were able to secure jobs and line up things, and you know, there's so many places that are becoming just unlivable. Um, like, there's an article here from the Epic Times of uh, talking about how so many people are migrating out of California that um, you know they're making these one-way U-Haul U-Haul trips, and so U-Haul reported that they have actually run out of trucks mm-hmm. to use. I mean, and in some areas, I'm, I'm assuming it's not the whole state of California, but um, they've run out of trucks to rent out to people to haul out of the state. Most common destination is uh, Texas, from what it would seem. Oh, and one final thing I was going to point out is that uh, uh, apparently we are now facing a new a new variant. Uh, I hate you, as in I hate you, I, I assume. Uh, it's the new B.1.64.2 I hope you were able to write that down. Variant, uh, and it's been known so far to infect 12 people living in southeastern France. So they ran out of Greek letters, or? I don't know. But apparently, well, this thing has 46 mutations, and it's being contained there, I guess. I don't know why I hate you. According to inews.co.uk, the variant got its name because it's being investigated by the researchers based at the IHU Mediterranean hospital in Marcel. If the WHO does decide to label it a variant of concern, it will be given a Greek name, most likely P or Pi, as that is the next letter in the alphabet after Omicron. Nice. Hopefully we never get to taste that pie. <laughs> <laughs>
That was not okay. <laughs> well, they could keep it in France. I'm okay with that. Now, according to Associated Press, a record 4.5 million Americans quit their jobs in November. This is an article that kind of, we expected. We talked about it at some point. We we're like, wait till we get the numbers uh, for November. This record 4.5, and the, you know, the article just is being funny here. People are leaving, you know, to different states. Uh, a lot of these people are quitting jobs because they're just sick of working or something. Are we going to talk about the fact that you forced a ton of people to leave jobs because they couldn't get vaccinated, <laughs> right? Like the, I don't know. This is, this is it. This is the news that we're waiting to hear. Is how many people have left jobs in November? Just yeah, be- how many have been coerced to quit, basically, and not exactly. Um, it's portraying it as they didn't necessarily. The point is that as people were quitting, we don't have the data at that time, right? Because it's well, it's not real time. But then as months go by. You get to hear, oh, a record number of people left. I wonder why. So here's an article from Christian Headlines uh, that talks about abortion and that it has been determined that it's the leading cause of death worldwide for the second year in a row. Uh, So we're talking about, you know, 13 million people died from communicable diseases. Um, So that was number two. And then other stuff is like cancer with 8.2, you know, smoking related uh, with uh, almost 5 million and then... Mm -hmm. Um, alcohol, AIDS, car accidents. But abortion takes the dishonorable title of uh, number one with 42.6 million babies aborted worldwide in 2021, uh, according to the Christian Post. So for the people that do classify as a death, um, yeah, that's a staggering number. It's almost, it's more than three times uh, Three and a half the second times place. more than, yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? So you said 42 million, right? And mm-hmm. again, according to to uh, to the same statistics, we're talking about three million, three and a half million died from COVID. So we're we're blaming COVID as this, you know, evil thing. Like, look at how the world pays attention at, you know, COVID killing people, while we ourselves destroy, at this point, you know, ten times more than that. Actually, what is it? Twelve. I was just gonna say, like, the people that COVID is killing is generally boomers and people that have already had a chance at life. Versus, you know, these 42 million that, yeah. for all we know, have, you know, 80 years ahead of them. Um, a lot of life to live, but never given a chance. And that's, yeah, that's sad. According to Christian Headlines, Bible podcasts are number one and number two on Apple's chart. And they're saying interest in the Bible is expanding. So the two most popular podcasts in the United States, uh, they're saying, is not about sports or news or even pop culture. It's about the Bible. The Bible in the Year, hosted by Catholic priest Mike Schmitz is was number one, at least on January fifth, and then uh, the Bible recap hosted by Tarley Cobble of D Group is number two. Now, to me, that sounds like resolutions kicking in. This article talks about how it's it's ranking higher than podcasts by New York Times, Joe Rogan, NPR. Um, yeah, I think you could be right. This is uh, either people picking back up on Genesis four or uh, you know starting the Bible reading plan over in January. Yeah. Not a bad thing, but yeah. um, it's it's an interesting take on the data. Surprised to not see us on there, but <laughs> next year. Hey, you can help with that. Have you done your part and shared this with a friend or a coworker? Yeah, that's one of the things that I think we've put a lot of time into, I don't know, building, like getting the equipment ready and prepping for the podcast. Not as much time into marketing it. So hopefully you can help with that. Thank you.
so this next article is from Morningstar News. Um, it's a uh, this this happened in a coastal region of Kenya, uh, the town of Alamu, uh, which is predominantly Muslim, and so there's extremists that are trying to make it into this uh, kind of independent Islamic zone um, and establish Sharia law there. And so they took a guy that was um, that was Christian and uh, sells coconut trees, I guess. So Francis Kaburi, they forced him down um, from one of his trees and uh, and abducted him, essentially. Um, and so they... Then they showed up at the house of his wife, I believe, right? And they said that we've got your husband mm-hmm. and they were trying to force them to come out. She, she then ended up barricading herself in there with the kids, right? Yeah, and then they, they set their house on fire and then a whole bunch of their neighbors, right? So many of whom were Christians, except for one person who was Muslim but was friendly to Christians. Right. Uh, but this was after they had taken... This was after, you know, they had already set on fire a shop uh, where people were having a prayer meeting inside and, and three people died in there. Um, so just gruesome stuff that's 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 happening. In total, I think six people were killed in what, five, five houses, one, yeah, five houses burned down. And it just happened, man. Like, I, I think about it, right? This just happened, right? This was Sunday night into Monday. So this is happening as, you know, for many of you, you're thinking about a New Year's resolution. Your year is just beginning. Um, and you're comfortable in your car. I don't know where you listen to this podcast. But this is just a reminder that people around the world, uh, just like people in Soviet Union at some point, you know, our pa- our parents, our grandparents were suffering for Christ. It continues on literally from generation to generation. It just kind of shifts from one end of the world to another. And uh, we have to remember these Christians and pray that they have the faith to stand strong through all these trials because a lot of these things are gruesome. And, uh, I mean, just looking at this, you're like, man, hopefully those kids are, you know, are able to still realize that in this God is with them and God will take care of them as e- even till the end of their days, I guess. Mm-hmm. And as they lose their father here on earth, you know, which is a very important in those, con- in those um, cultures to have, you know, a caretaker, a, a, you know, a husband that's going to provide for the family. These people not only need our prayers, but also our help. Yeah, the only one I've heard of was Voice of the Martyrs. I think, I think they're pretty reputable. Um, yeah, they work with uh, local organizations to, uh, to support persecuted Christians in, in different places. I think a lot of, a lot of African countries and, uh, and Asia as well. Yep, and you can just go to persecution.com and um, any amount of money you give to them, they will use this gift to provide help and care for those who have lost everything for the sake of the gospel, they say. They provide uh, Bibles and other ministry tools, and um, they help those who have been driven from uh, their homes because of their faith. According to Philadelphia uh, CBS News, eight children are among the 12 people killed following a fire at the two apartment units owned by Philadelphia Housing Authority in the city's Fairmont neighborhood on Wednesday morning of this past week. Philadelphia Fire Department arrived... Uh, to heavy flames at the building of the 800 block of North 23rd Street just after 6.30 a.m. And what they're saying is that there are eight, eight out of the 12 that died were children. Oh, right. The building was divided into two apartments. The first floor unit uh, reportedly had eight occupants, and the second and third floor unit had 18 people living in it. So it's like a multi-unit, has an odd layout, and uh, just the, this odd layout prevented a, a, an escape for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they they had inspections on the smoke detectors, and so um, 
and carbon monoxide detectors in uh, there's unit A and unit B, um, but there was a total of 13 that didn't work. Um, and so although they had uh, they had an inspection earlier, and you know they seemed to have been doing everything right and you know replacing batteries things like that, but uh, they were just not aware that there were so many people living in this unit. Um, and it was it's difficult enough to get uh, to have a fire escape plan as is with the way that that apartment is, but you never think it's going to happen to you until it does. So out of 26 people, 12 have perished. Eight of them are children. Our next article is from CNN. Um, and it talks about George Floyd, um, George Floyd's grandniece that was shot and injured in a in a shooting on New Year's Day. The odd point on that article was that took police four hours to arrive to investigate no i didn't notice yeah and they still have no idea what the cause is just asleep in bed and then all of a sudden you know it's a, this article says she suffered a punctured lung and liver and three broken ribs um you know bullet holes in the walls and windows yeah that's just really tragic that is um I don't happened know if, at 3 a.m can you imagine i don't know if it's significant that she's related to george floyd or not but i mean that's whoever it is it's that's tragic. All right, so now in the in you know towards the end of this episode, you'll get to hear uh, Vadim talk about the wildfire that happened in Colorado. But you know, all over the country, the weather is being probably what it should be, just different in different places. Uh, in our case, we had a ton of snow unexpectedly this uh, season around holidays, like a, a lot of snow for us. Um, a stretch of Interstate 95 in Virginia also got its huge dump of snow, uh, which caused a lot of problems. Apparently, all night all night on Monday, there was hundreds of cars that were stranded uh, on the freeway with the freezing temperatures. So they were driving, and they apparently got caught in this winter storm, and then the temperature dropped, and even after they, these motorists escaped the interstate on Tuesday, many got stuck on the side of the road for several more hours. There were a bunch of rescuers arriving. I mean, this was... Um, I thought even people died in this one. Did, did you see any of that? Um, I don't think... I think there was people that were trapped inside of the truck that, that was... Um, they got turned around and caused a huge backup. Um, and then they, like, cut them out or something. There you go. Yeah, okay. So no, nobody, nobody died. But, yeah, emergency crews on Tuesday afternoon freed the last of hundreds of drivers stranded by a snowstorm. And that's after 24 shivering hours of watching gas gauges drop, rationing food and water, according to the New York Times. That's crazy. A 40-mile stretch of the highway. Can you imagine just like, oh, we'll just fill up at that next gas station over there. And then you're standing and idling and and waiting and waiting. That's scary. We were were helping to pull um, uh, somebody out that got stuck in the way out there in the sticks. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of just, there's a lot of kind of figuring out what to do and stuff. And we're just waiting, waiting, waiting. It's like, man, how long can we idle before, uh, before we actually have to leave and like right. go get gas or something. Right. Uh, and I like, this is that times a hundred, like there's nowhere to go. You're, you're gridlocked inside uh, on the, on the highway. One of the things I heard is Kamala, I believe on Monday tweeted, tweeted uh, how we're getting people moving on the roads again as this tragedy was unfolding and people just were saying hey, it's kind of out of tone deaf yeah being being tone deaf in, in the way she posted that yeah but a u.s senator was also stuck and spent uh, the neck the the night um on a snowy highway some people abandoned their cars and walked away the fast falling snowstorm led to a jackknife tractor trailers and 
hundreds of other accidents, and then you have a 24-hour standstill for 40 miles. So this next story is from The Verge, um, talking about Taco Bell's new subscription service. So um, apparently you could uh, pay $10 in the app, and you get access to a secret menu. Um, it lets you choose which taco you want to redeem. You can redeem one taco per day uh, for, you know, it's a monthly subscription. So every day of the month you get days. a taco. Wow. I'm much more excited about the addition of bone-in wings into the Taco Bell menu, which is supposed to take mm. effect on January 6th. Um, and I completely missed the grand <laughs> premiere. <laughs> so grand premiere of the, what is it called? The It's like, like wings, like bone-in wings, which they've never done at Taco Bell before. Low-key excited to see what that's like. <laughs> There's people commenting, and it's like, what credit cards are to debt is the subscription to obesity. <laughs> The effect it will have, basically. Eat responsibly. In a world of space news, as the final and concluding story of this uh, lightning round, uh, Russians launched a rocket into space. That's not unusual. Mm -hmm. But then that rocket was falling downwards, apparently, out of control on January 5th at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it fell somewhere... Well, it hit the atmosphere over the Pacific Ocean. And so people were kind of keeping an eye out of it. My wife told me about it. I think it was on the same day. She was like, people are looking out into the sky for something because it was on our side. Mm, so it would look like a like a shooting star or something? Probably. Well, it was, yeah. Because it did it end up making it to the ground or did it just burn up? The latitude-longitude location corresponds to an empty patch of sea east of French Polynesia. It was supposed to enter the atmosphere and, you know, land properly, but something happened. And anyway, so if you, you live in French Polynesia and you saw that, uh, please send us a picture. Now, this other news story is something that we've talked about, I think, at the very first episode, if maybe maybe second, about the, the huge telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope, the JWST, which is... We're talking about it's going to be hundreds of times better than what we had up there. The Hubble, Hubble uh, telescope. Yeah. So they launched it on January 4th, I believe. And uh, as of January 8th, which is the time of this recording, uh, apparently it completes its major, NASA completes major JWST deployments. So apparently they just finished sending it up. And that means that we are going to be very close to, we, we are very close to receiving some new pictures. They're saying that it could look back in space. Again, 100 times as powerful, or back in time, seeing the origins of our Earth just because it goes back so far. And as you imagine, light travel. Anyways, so we're probably about to see something really cool. It's like, I guess, getting HD from, you know, having only 360p. The, actually, the comparison is probably not even fair. It should be 100 times better. Can you imagine? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like looking at all the colorful pictures and nebulas and things like that. But then you realize that it's it's not something that we could actually be able to see but they're able to see like gamma rays and and radio waves and things like that and it's just color-coded basically to a spectrum that we can't see still pretty cool though we'll keep an eye out on the coolest pictures that james webb telescope will give us and that is all for the lightning round now let's get to the last story of this episode well to all of our listeners i'd like to welcome you back to the remainder of this episode Uh, One more story to cover. If you've been paying attention to the news around New Year's or so, December 30th to be precise, uh, you will have heard about this massive fire in Colorado in Boulder County. So here's a quick rundown, right? Um, 
Once the fire got started, the winds that reached speeds upwards of 100 miles an hour fanned the flames. Uh, the fire raced across suburban neighborhoods, covering uh, about nine and a half square miles and destroying hundreds of homes, easily over $500 million damage. So over 35,000 people were, um, in the end, were evacuated. Um, you think about how many people that is, that's like, that's like the entire town of Mount Vernon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting up and moving. Um, and, you know, the freezing temperatures and, and snow that were happening concurrently, you could say, you know, made it just this miserable escape. Um, two people, as far as I could find, were still missing, and one death was recorded. Um, people escaped, you know, with the clothes on their back um, and pretty much just what they could carry. Um, it's it's interesting to think about. Like, what if your house is on fire, you can only grab one thing to carry out. What would it be? One thing to carry out of the house? Well, I guess whatever you can hold in your... Yeah, so that's meant to, like, test what you are... <laughs> what you are uh, especially tied to. I can't take the books. Sucks. But that's where my thoughts go first. I have a lot of collectibles. No, can't take them. No. Uh, let's Your stamps. See. <laughs> yeah, I would take my stamps. I would take my cameras. I have a, the, the, the antique vintage camera, camera collection, among other things. Um, probably the file with the documents and hard drives. I can carry that in one swoop. And it's actually in a fireproof safe, so I guess that, that doesn't... <laughs> That's a dumb thing. Okay, so I guess <laughs> all those things that are oh, not man. in your yeah. fireproof safe. Yeah. So it's got to be the hard drives. Hard drives are not there. Interesting. Because of the pictures, digital photos, right? Like those memories cannot be replaced. That's right. I was thinking, well, that actually changes what I was going to say because I was going to say I would grab a photo album of like the old stuff that we haven't digitized yet. But even the stuff that you have digitized, I guess, would be destroyed too. So, I don't know, because, like, things, like, objects, like, you could be, you know, there's the joke of, you know, the house is on fire, grab all the Apple devices, right, because mm. it's the most expensive to replace, but things can be replaced, and, and all the stuff that's in those photos and those memories cannot, um, but, uh, I mean, on the on the real, I, I can't imagine being in that situation. I mean, my sympathies to all the people involved, so many of them lost everything, and this is just a... Just a really tough and jarring circumstance. But in addition to uh, sheltering and caring for the evacuees, a high priority would be to answer the question um, in the same way we talked about January 6th, is who, is, who or what is to blame? Um, so local authorities say that um, they have a few different tips to follow. The most obvious culprits, uh, I don't think anyone would disagree, that global warming and the unvaccinated population, wow. uh, of course, but... <laughs> Uh, but Sheriff Joe Pell released a statement where he was basically like, all right, like, let's not jump to conclusions. There's some careful investigating that needs to happen. And it's not easy with, uh, you know, it's a huge area. Um, it's completely covered in snow. But one of the leads that this, uh, I was reading a New York Times article. Uh, one of the leads mentioned was a building that people saw burning uh, before the fire grew. And there's a, and there's a video of it. Um, this was on a property owned by the 12 tribes. Um, which is, I've never heard of them, but apparently it's a Christian fundamentalist group that started in Tennessee in the 70s. I was reading up on them. It's pretty interesting. They have like their own, uh, like I, I wouldn't call it a union, but they have kind of a union-ish setup where they operate businesses uh, across the country and they employ their own people. Um, so the one in Boulder is, a, I think it's like a deli, so kind of like a retail-oriented hmm. uh, union, you could say, right? 
so someone got a video of a shed on their property burning before this disaster. Um, there was also some down power lines that turned out to be telecommunication lines. And the most honorable mention, I think, is the conspiracy theories about DEWs. What is that? Uh, I don't know a whole lot, but apparently like uh, DEW stands for direct energy weapons. So people mm. uh, posit that there's uh, like lasers being shot out of space, out of space, out of maybe space, maybe like aircraft mm. Um, mm-hmm. that terrorize homes. Um, and this, this conspiracy theory has been, um, has been proposed, you know, even all the stuff that, you know, in 2019, you had all those huge fires in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and also earlier in Oregon, where obviously devastating fires, I won't rule out arson, uh, for something like this, but those, I mean, those seem a little bit far-fetched. It remains to be seen what the official, uh, I guess, conclusion will, will be. I thought the down power lines was, uh, pretty on point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, 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 it seems it, like the most normal one out of all of them and they, and it's not like it's a speculation, like it's a real observation that they mean. Right, but they—that's so the thing—is that they can put everything on it. They looked into it. It turned out to be like telecommunication lines, which are not—they um, don't carry like the you know thousands of volts that right. that the power lines would. Did you say that it's likely? Okay, yeah. It's just something that they looked into. So, so George W. Bush, after Katrina, visited New Orleans. Uh, Trump visited San Juan after Hurricane Maria uh, in Puerto Rico. Obama visited Oso, Washington. If you remember that, we had that landslide. Um, and now Joe Biden and his wife, Jill, uh, are showing solidarity with the victims of this fire by surveying some of the damage and mm-hmm. giving a speech in Louisville, Colorado. So uh, here's a quote by Biden. It's amazing. Amazing what people do in crises. And my message to them and everyone impacted by this is that, you know, not only are you helping each other, but we're here with you. Uh, Biden said on Friday at the Louisville Recreation Senior Center. Not only are you helping each other, but we're here with you and we're not going to go away. I intend to do whatever it takes, as long as it takes, to support you. And for what it's worth, his wife uh, offered her condolences for the people that lost their animal family members. Uh, couldn't leave that out. So we're used to giving Biden kind of a hard time on this program. It's pretty, most of the time, it's pretty low-hanging fruit. Uh, but here I think, you know, what they did was, at least the sentiment of what they did was pretty noble and commendable. Um, but no good politician would waste a crisis like this. And so this was, I think, obvious in the messaging, especially when Biden used the phrase build back better. Um, to me, this is obvious uh, that he's referring to the bill he's trying to push through the legislature. But uh, do you know much about it? Well, other than that, he's trying to include at least $500 billion for climate into this build better plan. Five 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 hundred billion to five hundred fifty-five billion. That's a huge number. And then again, everything that's sort of built into the bill from what we were looking is uh, incentivizing all these new green companies to essentially enter and dominate the field, right? So it make it super hard for everybody who's currently in business to reach this level, but make it easy and provide incentives for the new companies, which kind of makes you wonder: Does somebody have an interest? invested into those companies right so Hmm. it's like we want green but we also want this kind of green specific very specific kind of green uh i don't think tesla qualifies by the way so that would be like an example oh wow yeah i i mean yeah i think it's pretty clear that he wants to use this crisis to advance you know like this is why we need to 
take steps against global warming and uh, everything that always comes up whenever you talk about a wildfire. Um, and yeah, it would make sense that, you know, now there's everything's leveled essentially for that, for those nine and a half square miles and people are starting to rebuild. And so it's like, oh, this is a perfect time to, uh, to start fresh. And from this point onwards, we're going to do things this way, you know? Um, but the thing about this is it wasn't even strictly speaking a forest fire. I mean, it's one thing if there's like, you know, it's raging, it's jumping across around trees, um, and it gets too close to a populated area. Then you have conversations about forest management, environmental factors, and things like that. But this was, um, can you really blame climate change for a structure fire that was whipped up by high winds and then, and then burned a whole bunch of developments? This is like the, <laughs> the huge concern with all of this, right? Is it's like when we start to, like, it would have been a fine conversation if we were reviewing things objectively and we're really uh, hearing from them, not just this one-sided, you know, but like anything happens and it's blamed on climate, you you, you kind of get this like, all right, well, either I can't trust you at all because you just constantly just yell climate at any given moment, right? COVID, climate, you know, uh, security is- or national security issues, climate change, you know, and whatnot, like just blame everything on climate. It makes you think, um, is somebody orchestrating these events? You know, let's, uh, it just, it just doesn't create a lot of trust uh, when, when the message is one-sided. How is it that now that we became so more, so much more conscious of climate, all of a sudden we see all these isolated climate events, climate change events, you know, and considering how much the science moves forward, I can see how there is a, suspicion as to you know all right so we know we were capable of doing amazing feats which were unthinkable even decade before that's why it's fair to suspect that uh, somebody up there who's interested in something more than just um i can see how there could be uh, anxiety around the subject of climate change just not trusting the authority at all and but with all of that um there are changes i guess it's just that before we used to look at those changes as kind of natural part of uh, the environment, how it just goes through different cycles. And some of those cycles are bigger than others. And that's why we keep data from, you know, at least a century down and sometimes going multiple centuries back. We're able to look at that and observe that things have always been changing. And, you know, that's why the older guys will tell you, well, we remember winter when, you know, the snow was yay high, you know. Well, we don't have that around right? Or they'll remember a super dry summer. So I guess it'd be nice if we just all had a conversation about what is actually happening versus what I think is happening. And that's the truth. And it, you know, in the end, you have to blame people for this. Because climate is something that's sort of designed by God and was given to us, right? But as the earth was cursed and is groaning to be restored, awaiting, you know, that final restoration, then um, well, we're, so, we're, we're the cause initially and we're the cause continually. Yeah, it doesn't sit right with me. I, um, the fact that you take this disaster and then instead of making it about the people, you make it about, about the politics that you want to advance, um, you know, with the fire. And there's just blatant disregard for, blatant disregard for making it make sense. I mean, in a, in a wildfire, you have, you know, three ingredients, the fire triangle, right? You have fuel, oxygen, and heat. Um, and obviously these houses were just built so close together. The materials are kindling, you know, just 
and super dry wood. And so it's very easy to get an intense hot fire and then have it move so quickly across. Um, it's, I mean, do we need to change the way that we build developments? Um, you know, the materials that we use, I know like in, um, you know, in Chicago, when, when they had that huge, uh, fire in, I mean, it was a long time ago, but they changed the way that they built things. Uh, they moved to brick buildings and stuff like that. And so, um, in a sense, yeah, there is room for that. There is room for that, but then you're you're making a false connection to where you know you have these you have this agenda for wildfires and forest fires, and then you're using a fire of a different nature to basically progress that. Uh, I just, I mean, that that might be kind of a side point though, because I mean, what we need to take away from this event, right, is you know, be thankful that we avoided, uh, for the most part, we avoided a loss of life. Um, you know, things can be replaced. But to be alive and to show how you are coping and responding, um, that's such a priceless thing. Uh, it could be a very powerful testimony. You know, I remember uh, in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, you know, people, there were so many people that lost everything. You know, you're living in a house that's a, just a, a shell of what it used to be, you know. Um, your possessions are ruined, uh, things like that. But I, I remember just being blown away by the resilience and, you know, unbreakable spirit of people. Um, that's so huge. And I think that's that could be even like a theme of our episode today, which is um, things that happened in the past, we can use them to improve our future. Uh, and that this is a, the fact that we're able to do this is is really cool. Whether it's good moments or bad moments, uh, whether it's success or failure or bad accidents or happy accidents, um, we're called to grow. Well, that's all for the stories for this week. We are so glad you've joined us for another episode of Life Ring. Please consider following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Uh, just type in Life Ring Podcast. Also consider sharing it with a friend or a family member that would benefit from a weekly overview of the current events from a conservative and Christian perspective. And as always, we would like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the world so that everyone who comes to him would be saved. We encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to Life Ring, and we'll see you next week.